You're listening to the Soakin' Community Podcast. Your favorite source for gaming, film, and internet debate starts now. Good morning, afternoon, evening. Uh, whenever you're listening to this podcast, regardless, you are welcome to the Soakin' Podcast. I'm your host, T, and with me are Jason Leo. Oh, that's my part. I'm Jay Strayson! I was expecting more of an intro. I get more usually at my appearances. <laughs> Hello! <laughs> I'm Leo, and I'm not nearly the kind of drama queen that expects a grand entrance. Next time we'll get the drum roll. <laughs> okay. okay, maybe it's a little bit late to add the drum roll, considering we're over halfway through the podcast season. Are you guys excited to wrap up in another month? No, I think it's super fun to hang out. I like going to you guys. I like putting together the the podcast. I always am excited to see what the writers come up with. And I'm it's going to be a little bit sad to take a break. And, and I'm hoping that our writers and producers and everybody will keep the break limited because I'd love to get back in the studio and keep the thing rolling with you guys. Amen. So yeah, this has been a ton of fun. I'm actually kind of surprised we're halfway through. It seems like we just started. Jason and I have been having a ton of fun really talking through a lot of these subjects. Some we've disagreed on, some we've agreed on, but for different reasons. Um, and I think we we have found, um, well, I, I personally have found really a lot of fun in even researching some of these subjects that I didn't really know a whole lot about before, but this has really made me dig into why I feel the way I do about a lot of things. And it's been fantastic. I really enjoy it. So I don't want it to end, but it has to, as all good things do. And hopefully, you know, it won't be too long until we kick up season two or the next season. Sorry, not season, season two. two for you. My <laughs> Some of us two. have been yeah. around a hot minute. <laughs> okay, Jace. Today we'll be discussing the revival of canceled shows and fair warning. Today's episode is going to be full of spoilers for recent streaming shows The Witcher and The Mandalorian. If you are not caught up on any of those series, go binge them and then come back to us. So streaming platforms like Netflix and Amazon Prime have been kind of a hot topic for us. We've talked to them a couple times and what we like and don't like about them. However, something that we could consider to be a redeeming quality for them is that they have been kind of well known now for purchasing cancelled shows from television and then giving them new life on a new medium. Examples like The Expanse, Lucifer, sometimes they've even bought pilots that never made it to television at all and are now multiple seasons deep, like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Do you think that those shows were good enough to continue, or be made at all in one case? Or are these platforms just looking for more easy, original content to create? I think these platforms are a business, like any other kind of business. I think that the idea that these shows were good enough, and should they continue to be made at all, is such a remarkably subjective question that the only real evidence we have is how successful are they with audiences. And I think that these platforms do demonstrate that these shows, um, after having given them new life, because of the audience reception to them are a good investment now whether or not these are profitable is of course up to whoever it is that's going to be producing these 
shows. Um, I do think that there are a ton of different variables with either networks funding these things or the streaming services funding these things. Um, and as, as we've talked about before, streaming services do tend to be the next big thing. So I think they have a little bit of a better position to take what are some of these shows that are fan favorites, some of these shows that um, demonstrate to an audience that they can be a really fascinating or entertaining or humorous or tragic or whatever, um, but, but ultimately entertaining um, venue or entertaining um, show and, and really turn them into something that an audience wants to see. When these streaming platforms pick them up, they also have, I think, a lot of public goodwill because where I think a lot of networks do pilot these programs, they throw them out there without any previous... Um, not even a, a, a litmus test. I think as these um, as these networks take the risk of putting these pilots together, or even considering these um, these new ideas, as they throw them out to the public to try and get an idea of whether or not the public is even interested in these things the streaming services get to see that metric they get to see whether or not people um, have an interest in them and they kind of get to they get to pick them up without the risk of having to have posited them first and i think that's a really good position for these streaming services to be in i think that that position is um uh, it's better for them and i think it's proven better for them as they have picked up what have been um, decent proposals but just haven't been where I think networks are looking for the perfect storm these streaming services have seen uh, what are publicly popular uh, and and have capitalized on it they've put a number of really good things out as a result um, but I do think they have that kind of advantage and that they're not in the business of proposing at least not really not yet um, I think they will be probably in a few years, but right now they're capitalizing on what's been proposed and hasn't really settled in, um, with the exception of where they've seen it might. There, to me, is a paradigm shift in what entertainment is and what television is, for even from the perspective of the viewer, from the perspective of the creator, and from the perspective of the actors, even in some ways. Um, the, the difference between network television and a streaming service is that with network television, you are completely reliant on a little thing called ratings. So if a great show comes out and the stars do not align, a great show can go away simply because people did not watch it. Um, the benefit of a streaming service is once you have that piece of art on your platform, a human being can at any moment in time go and look at it and become a fan of it right off. You did not have to catch it Monday night at seven o'clock. And if you're, you know, four episodes behind and you didn't get into it, you didn't start DVRing it, whatever, whatever, it's not like you're missing out. With streaming, you have a business model that says, come into my house and take, take anything you want in the house at any time. The way that that changes the, the whole market, really, the whole, the whole genre of TV, is that you can have a show that doesn't make it for whatever reason. There's a thousand reasons a show may not make it on network. And it dies there. 
you can take that same exact program that is dead that has failed put it on a streaming service and it is a a pillar of this of the streaming service because anybody can pick it up at any time and pick up, become a fan they can pick it up from episode one binge the whole thing and now they're they're in they've become part of the culture they've become uh, you know in on the jokes whatever whatever so i do not think that it's necessarily easy money for a um for a streaming service to do that i think it's a smart business concept to go for but it's just very very different from network television and the platform has the luxury of building uh, building a base of people over time rather than just having to hope nobody's watching monday night football when my program comes on and then i have to find a new slot for it it still doesn't go go well there there's just it's way easier on on network to i mean on uh, streaming to have to build that fan base and these shows that come with a fan base maybe that the shows got canceled too early you know all the better you've automatically got some subscribers just because that show moved into that particular platform in the case of shows like lucifer and the expanse which were a few seasons in before they were canceled and then brought back do you think the fans are actually benefiting from the extension of the series or would it have been better to let them go like firefly did i take issue with the way the question was phrased it is not better that firefly died so <laughs> i take it that's painful um I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think. So. I think ratings-based TV is cutthroat. Bad scheduling, network interference, um, a, a, a time slot can ruin a great show's potential. If um, if you have a great show like The Expanse, which happens to be one of my very favorite shows, and it doesn't make it on Sci-Fi, and the reason it didn't make it on Sci-Fi is because it was too expensive to make, and Sci-Fi had a lower budget. It was it was very popular on Sci-Fi, but they couldn't necessarily afford to keep making the show. If you can take that fan base and you know sci-fi fans as some of you star wars people out there might know are a little bit um fanatic about their fandom if you can take that show that has a built-in fan base and give it a new life of course that's way better of course that is the best thing to do for that program and for those fans we i can't think of a, a way to be better benefit from a series i i would go so far as to say that the expense is probably my favorite show and the fact that i now have a season four where I wouldn't have had a, a season four before, wow, that was a lot of fours, um, is only good for me. And it's only cemented my commitment to Amazon Prime, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Amazon Prime to me was one of those things that, yeah, you know, I like Jack Ryan, it's pretty good. There's a couple shows here and there that I'll watch. The fact that The Expanse is on Amazon Prime, I'm going to be a subscriber for as long as they keep producing that show. Not to mention, that show happens to be based on books, and there's just more story to tell. So we the audience absolutely would have missed out on those the rest of those stories so i think that yeah there are certainly uh, there are success stories i do think that there are also failure stories so i don't think it's as black and white as saying um yes these shows that the fans want to continue should there are tons of instances where shows who have gone on and have had huge successes should die um i'll i'll you know even the office by um the american office um uh, steve carell wanted the american office to die because there was just only so much that could be said without really overdoing it and without repeating itself um without yeah re really becoming um its own joke um 
let me let me also mention for as much as this might pain uh, folks um game of thrones as a as a show series that overextended itself it became so popular that it extended itself beyond its source material and before that source material could be created created it tried to do something more and as a result um, in my opinion became less than its source material i think um, these should be lessons for those folks who simply want things to go on and on and on those um, folks who are fans of um, certain narratives who want to see them continue to exist they really need to consider what that actually means does that mean that you're going to get the same quality does that mean you're going to get the same um, depth does that mean you're going to get the same whatever it is that attracted you to um, that narrative in the first place is that going to remain um, but that relies on a whole host of conditions that may not exist anymore and as a result i do think it's remarkably subjective and i think there are some instances where some shows just need to die or some shows need to hit a pause button and they need to wait until either the market has you know reasserted itself to be a little bit more attractive or even the source material just needs to be back in a position where it can provide good content sometimes uh, zeitgeist matters as well i i, I fully am for long-running series i like my shows to go on and on but i know that at some point there is a time where you know every show has a shelf life and there's not enough stories to tell to keep it interesting that shows do jump the shark and become so serialized that you lose a plot and i like plot and i like things to make sense um will and grace was a really fun show in the first run it was canceled after i believe seven seasons and it has come back in in recent years with continuation of the of that series they kind of retconned a little bit of things that happened at the end and to me that continuation has not born fruit it has not captured the same fun captured the same feeling that it did the on the original run it, and while i still laugh i still find some of the jokes funny it feels a little creepy because the time period in which will and grace was created we needed a will and grace we needed that there now the, the the jokes just don't land as hard it doesn't feel as timely it doesn't feel co as connected to culture even though they try to you know make the references it just doesn't connect and that to me is the difference firefly let's go back to the you know the question firefly was one season and because of a fan uh, a fan-led campaign also got a movie firefly and it was only really half a season because it was a mid-season replacement firefly had a lot of stories left to tell a universe a world had been built um there was lore to that world there were characters that were i mean and at its core firefly was a character study let's be honest it really wasn't as much about the sci-fi as it was about the characters and there was tons of stuff that still could have happened with those characters we left them too soon and it was canceled poorly i fully believe that firefly had it been canceled today would have been picked up by one of these streaming services and we would have many many more uh seasons of firefly because it was just that good so it just depends on the show i don't think everything needs to go on forever there does come a point where you've done it all let's put a, a nice cap on it and say goodbye but but sometimes you know you lose it too soon and you've lost some great entertainment right i i think unfortunately the the metric for what is the cap like what's too long i think it's de it's derived in some 
uh, in some number crunching lab that isn't necessarily the um, the standard of what an audience is really interested in. Um, we've got a bunch of examples of shows, you know, like Heroes went went on for way too long. It got rebooted and it it failed magnificently. Um, Lost also, I, I mean, I think it, it went on way too long. It told a whole bunch of crazy stories and didn't really answer them all. And it just kept trying to, like, reboot itself along the way with its own different wacky seasons. Like, there were a number of shows that really captured an audience and really had a cool story to tell. Firefly is one I agree with you in that I don't think it had enough time to tell all the story that it should have told. But I think there are so many other stories that just went on too long that really should have turned it in. They should have thrown in the towel way before they did, but didn't because the producers were, you know, in their ivory tower saying, this is making us money, so let's continue doing this. And they ended up driving whatever it was that was successful into the ground to the point where audiences were no longer interested in whatever that magic was. And and I weep for that bit. Like, that magic that just gets ground into dust, unfortunately ends up being a failure for even future endeavors that had a lot of potential and could have told cool stories but that thing that element that magic that was cool for that initial story is now dust for whatever future stories uh could be told um even in different worlds but the audience is just done with that stuff and i i, I dislike that um mechanic of our of our current um, entertainment culture. Obviously, there are a lot of shows that we wish could come back. So, besides Firefly, what comes to mind? Firefly. <laughs> oh, sorry, maybe I misunderstood the question. Um, I, I would go classic, old school. I would love if there were more episodes of Star Trek, the original series in the can. Um, it was canceled for low ratings. And obviously, there were many, many more stories to tell in the Star Trek universe. Um, it's, you know, going on however many years of telling stories, and there's still new new series coming out. Picard comes out this month, and I cannot wait. There's a lot of Star Trek left to be told. It would have been good to see more of the original series lore built and expanded upon by Gene Roddenberry and the original creators of the series to just see what more they could have given us to build on, build on in, in all the years that, that followed. I, I, I'm a little sad that we only have 79 episodes of Trek. Um, another show that I really like, and most people don't, but I thought it was really good and fun, was Gallivant. Um, and I think it is streaming on Netflix or somewhere. It is freaking funny. It's like the Princess Bride musical. It's real campy and kind of it subverts expectations in a good way it's hilarious and it's just fun and I, I do feel a little sad we got like a season and a half of that before it was canceled it did not find an audience on network television and it died a sad sad death because just nobody watched it but it's freaking good and finally the show that i am heartbroken is over was sensate on netflix and i absolutely loved it i hated that it got canceled after two seasons very grateful that you know due to a fan campaign we did get the two-hour wrap-up but lord have mercy that that universe and that that whole concept 
of being a sensate is so rich for a million different tales and stories and it's it is really heartbreaking that we're not going to get more sensate i thought the question was one series so sorry i don't go with my 15 top series i go in three here like threes since Jason, <laughs> oh my God, you do like threes. I do. Um, <laughs> that's really, that's actually a fundamental aspect of our guild in <laughs> the Divine Conclave. Um, I like threes too. Okay, so you said not Firefly, but man, that's that's my number one answer. Firefly. I'm not gonna go into it, but mm, no, that's my number one answer. Firefly is the thing that I think died too soon and really needed more. Um, the, 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 of different genres and, and, and other shows that I think really needed a little bit more life, um, Constantine was, um, a show that, um, had a kind of a rough pilot, um, but it really had <laughs> for, it had a phenomenal movie and I liked I really liked seeing um, th that kind of gritty fantasy and even um, modern world fantasy because I, I, personally, I don't see that done well too often. I thought the movie did it so well and I would have really have liked to see a TV series that could approach what was done in the movie but make it into something like a TV series, I would have really liked to have seen that. And I was sad to see that that died. Now, into a completely different genre, um, a comedy sketch show that I think died too soon was Chappelle Show. Um, I, I, I know that's not normally the theme of what we're talking about, but let me just say, Dave Chappelle is one of the greatest comic minds of this generation, in my opinion. I think the things he has produced have been the funniest things I have ever seen in any venue. Sometimes you can just stand there and he makes me laugh. I, I, I know I've said that before about other people. I think I said that about Will Ferrell in one of these uh, um, podcasts before. But Dave Chappelle is the funniest man I've ever witnessed. His sense of humor, his his take on different things have been to me, they have been so funny that they've been enough that have made me desperately want to see something like The Chappelle Show carry on. His take on different things have just uh, they've been unprecedented. He also doesn't hold back he touches on things that are sensitive and he makes funny things that are um taboo but he turns them from crazy taboo into well all right a little taboo but listen to how he spins it and it's still kind of funny even for those who are a little bit more sensitive to those topics he's in my opinion the funniest living comedian and i would have loved to have seen his show carry on 
so coincidentally did you know as since constantine was a show you wish would have continued did you know that um the nbc matt ryan constantine tv show was retroactively put into the arrowverse and that that character constantine is still actively on the series um the, a couple of the series but i think currently running on legends of tomorrow on the cw i i, I mean i don't i don't watch it so no so you could you could have more Constantine should you want. In fact, I believe he had. They're they're running right now the Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, crossover for all the the DC series on CW, and I believe he has a role, a, a very important role in, in some of that stuff. So, but you're saying I have to, to have. I have to get through the Arrow to get to my Constantine. Not necessarily. I know he made an appearance on Arrow, but I think that he's a series regular on Legends of Tomorrow. And and part of the problem with the Arrowverse it is it is a little convoluted, and there's a lot to, to take in and i've in in the truth is i've kind of given up on it except for the crossover series i watch that every year but i'm not a huge follower of the tv shows maybe take it as another lesson and be careful what you wish for when you wish for series back <laughs> regardless of how you cope with the end of a series that goes too soon uh, whether it's fan campaigns fan fiction or role playing or p guild based on a similar universe um they can take your seasons they can take the books but they can't take the sky on december 20th of 2019 netflix finally released the long-awaited live-action rendition the witcher and it's gotten mixed reviews Starring Henry Cavill as the infamous Geralt of Rivia, the show has been described by some as the best video game adaptation to film ever made, and of course others saying it's a complete pile of garbage that makes no sense and was poorly written. We're, of course, still making memes about it regardless, but let's see what you guys think. Was Henry Cavill a good choice to play Geralt? Is it Cavill or Cavill? I always say Cavill. I don't know, but I, mean... uh, I said it now. So. <laughs> regardless... Uh, Henry Cavill is always a good choice. You could put him as Superman, you could put him as Geralt, you could put him as Batman, you could put him on a piece of toast with some butter, and he is always the best choice. I don't I don't know that you could put him in something and I wouldn't like it, because he's just a really fun man to look at. But, that all said, I think that he actually was really a, a very good girl. Geralt? Is it Geralt or Geralt? Here's the thing. I never really was a fan of the video game, Geralt. so I don't really know how it goes. Geralt. Um, I thought that he resembled many of the pictures and memes of the Witcher game that I saw, so I think that he you know, he, he certainly resembled the character, but it's hard not to when you put a, a white long wig on someone and they're, they're going to automatically start, you know, having those appearances up. Loved the casting choice. I think that he can play anything though, and it's still a great casting choice. I think... Henry Cavill? Cavill? Whatever. We're going with Cavill. Cavill. Henry I'm so Cavill. sorry, Mr. He is, um, he's a great actor. And I have, I've liked his rendition of Geralt. I also think he mimics a lot of the physical qualities and even audible qualities of Geralt. Um, that we've seen in the games. I, in full disclosure, haven't read 
any of the Witcher stuff. I've only played the games. But I do think... I think he's a very good rendition. I think he... He's a little bit too bulked up. He's a little bit too beefy. Oh my god, um, he's Superman. What do you expect? <laughs> I don't have... I don't have Jace's um, <clears throat> predilection toward attraction toward a man like Henry Cavill. Did you just call him gay? <laughs> but despite that, I think he does a really good rendition of Geralt. I would have liked to have seen a Geralt that's probably 50 pounds lighter than Henry Cavill's interpretation. However, his acting is fantastic. He's a he really is a phenomenal actor, um, and I I like everything from his eyebrow quirks to his gruff voice to his um, his his even the way he drops the f bomb in certain <laughs> situations um, in those episodes. He's so Geralt in I, those situations. I I think I, he's a good choice. It was an interesting. I guess an interesting casting choice in the sense that I have played a little bit of The Witcher 3 and Geralt in the video games absolutely does not have an English accent. He is sounds very American, um, in fact. It was interesting that Henry was cast and allowed to just be as British as British can be, like he is. I mean, he was a tutor, for God's sake. So it, that, I thought in terms of casting, that was interesting. They, they didn't try to mask his accent with, with a, perhaps a video game representation of what Geralt sounded like. But he did kind of mimic the, the growl and the gravel of, of Geralt. Right. I think part of that is probably because of the difficulty of him trying to get that gravel of, of Geralt. I think... Um, in 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 casting and this is totally out of my rear end so but i do think in trying to get somebody who doesn't normally speak like that to then also have an american accent where you don't normally especially among a cast who don't have american accents like all of the other cast had english or european accents to the way that they spoke Geralt was kind of unique in his american accent and i think a lot of that was to cater to American video game audiences. However, I think American movie audiences don't have a lot of those same sensibilities. And so I think it was, while not a choice that necessarily honored the video game character, I do think it was one that still honored the narrative character. And I do think that it's one that honored the show slash movie um, um, audience. I, I, I didn't think it was a bad choice. Alright, let's get into another controversial choice. Besides, you know, the wig. How do you guys feel about the story being told in a non-chronological order? So, you you made a dig about the wig. I'm also going to make a dig about the contact lenses that were a part of a ton of the, the characters throughout the, the movie, uh, the shows. Some of the eye colors of the various characters were all right. Some of them were terrible. Geralt's yellow eyes in some scenes were okay, and in some scenes were just terrible. Ceres 
kind of milky blue eyes were just gross in a lot of shots, but not so bad in others. I think it's because she is an actress who probably has naturally blue eyes, and they let that shine through in a number of scenes that I thought were some of the better ones. And then they put these contacts in, in her eyes, and then they shot these super close-up scenes of her eyes as if to say, look, she's got weird eyes. Like, yeah, because you put gross-looking contacts in them. It was a little disconcerting. I mean, kind of what I call cow eye when you've got kind of eyes going in different directions because the yes. lens hole slides off center a little bit. Yeah, they were like terrible. But on that note, I haven't seen a good contact lens in a movie ever, really. Like, I, I neither have I. That's what, like the, the, the idea of eye color for a particular character, if you're trying to achieve it, achieve it in... Uh, Syl hates this, but, but do it in post. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god do you know how expensive that would be that on titanic remember they put the the the, the young uh, rose's eyes on the old rose <laughs> but it's super it, expensive if it looks better man I, well okay yeah super expensive is a thing however okay that wasn't the question that was asked i'm sorry you asked us how do we feel about the non-chronological non oh we misunderstood the question <laughs> no, non-chronological i'm I'm a butthead and wanted to talk about context. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> the non the non chronolo chronological thing about the show is, was probably the most confusing element until I got into um, probably episode four, as well as a whole other bunch of people telling me, "Hey, be advised, this doesn't go into chronological order, and you're going to be confused." and there's absolutely no indication whatsoever that you're talking about two different timelines until you just somehow figure it out along the course of either watching it or someone else who has finally seen the finale telling you, hey, watch out for this. You, you, you do, I think, if you're a remarkably ab astute observer who knows not only um, the Witcher lore, but you know the games and you, you know the, um, the, the written content prior to the games... There's no way to know what 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 the things are being referenced and why something should be before something else. Um, I I think perhaps, and 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 maybe this is my own failing, but I think perhaps the writers were thinking a little too highly of their audience, in a lot of ways, where they were writing things like surely people will get this, and they just put in this rare hint at you know some episode to let folks know because they didn't catch some of those hints. I caught it. I don't even remember what episode it was, but there was like a puppet show that was a scene cut, like from one scene to the next. And one scene was before, um, spoiler alert, uh, the, the uh, Nilfgaardian assault on Sintra, where they took it over. <clears throat> spoiler alert. Uh, but the puppet show was about the post-Sintra um, destruction. And that, I think, puppet show was supposed to tell you, oh, hey, we're now post-Sintra destruction. So that's the timeline you're now in, and get ready for that timeline. And yeah, okay. I mean, that was a little bit of a more obvious thing, but none of the other cuts had that kind of, at least what I took as an obvious element. It was so confusing until I figured out I need to be looking for this stuff. By then, I was so irritated with it that I had to have been bought in either by my love of the franchise or my love of the characters um, that I, I don't think I would have been had I just been a casual watcher. I agree that it was confusing, but that's not why 
I hated it. I hated it because I hated it. I think that it added a single thing to the story to pull it out of chronological order and to kind of dissect it and deconstruct a timeline. The, the only reason you do that, to me, is for a payoff. The, the only reason that you confuse the order of events and a, and a narrative is so that when the, the culminating moment comes, it's either A, a huge reveal like, oh my god, my mind is blown, this was all happening in different timelines, or B, it's like everything was twisting into this one moment and then that one moment happens and you were aware of the twist all the time and you were around for the ride and you rode it into center and those two things pay off for me there was no payoff there was nothing that made me say oh i'm so glad they did this out of chronological order it just added such richness to the film no it didn't do anything all it did was confuse it all it did was make people who weren't aware of the lore who didn't necessarily follow along with the tale feel like i don't what didn't we already do this i don't get what's happening personally i i consider myself a pretty avid tv watcher and i didn't get it until i got it and then i was like why did they do that like I, like i only asked myself the question what was the point of that why did they make it in many many different time periods i think the, the payoff was Geralt and siri finally reconnecting i'm not sure that it was the payoff people were looking for but i, do, I think that's what they were going for well that still would have been a culminating moment had they told it in order had they told the story from, you know, deep past or even in flashback, I would have preferred that they would have done like um, Yennefer's because that's part of the problem, too, is because decades span in some of the narratives and just like a week passes in another one. So we're dealing with a, a very compressed time period in one of the narratives that is just edited into this decades long tale of another so it is kind of difficult i see the problem but really i think that the pay it, it would have felt a lot better to me to do yennefer's decade story in flashbacks we would have gotten it better we've been it would have been okay with that flashbacks are are a little bit of a trope but to me they're a trope because they work and just screwing up a timeline it felt like they took scenes threw them into the air and just let's see where they land and that's how we're gonna freaking edit this thing together Alright, so we kind of touched on this a little bit with Geralt, but let's open it up now to the rest of the cast. A lot of debate was sparked specifically over the casting of, again, stop giving me people's real names, I'm going to butcher them every time, uh, Anna Schaefer as Triss Marigold. A lot of fans, our producer still included, are really stuck on the video game image of Triss, which was a red-headed pyromaniac, um, while the show's image of Triss is more accurate to the book's description of her. Does the gaming fanboy, fanboys, fanbase, fanboys, fanbase have a point in being a little underwhelmed by the character not looking like their expectations? Fanboys. I like that little slip of the tongue. <laughs> You're probably not wrong talking about Triss. <laughs> um, but I, I, I actually took took a moment to relook through a lot of the various casting, and the casting is really one of those things. For for all the things that I like about The Witcher, the casting is one of the things I like the least. Um, it's well written, it's well told. I think it has good dialogue. I do think while I was a little bit bored by the first few episodes, it really did redeem itself um, as it as it started gaining steam throughout the first season. Um, 
the folks that I took the most issue with um, with regards to casting were honestly a lot of the sorceresses. And I think a lot of that is probably a result of the games. Um, however, from the games, I started looking into even the source material. And while Triss isn't a character that looks anything like the Triss that I'm familiar with from the games, Yennefer is also not a character that matches either the games or the source material. Um, the only thing that the character Yennefer in the shows has is that she has dark hair. That's the literally the only thing that she has um, in, in, in similarity with the previous character. She was pale-skinned, she had um, lighter eyes. Now, she had purple eyes that turned blue when she was angry or whatever but she also had really angular features she had a narrow chin she had a narrow nose she had pronounced cheekbones she had like if if they hadn't been so well described in the books the games would not have had such a um, significant portrait to paint of the character of Yennefer um, and they would not have been so specific about how they painted her. Um, there were also a number of traits of Yennefer that were neglected in the shows. Yennefer was a character that only wore black and white. And yet in the show, she wears all kinds of crap. She wears like a blue-gray dress in in the, the series one finale that just doesn't make any sense for her character. And there were, there were a lot of elements that I thought were really missing for Yennefer that um, were things that were important to her. Now, granted, all of that is purely casting. The actress who played Yennefer was fantastic. She's a great actress, and I think she managed to capture a lot of Yennefer's idiosyncrasies really well. She's a complex character. There are complex... Um, links between her and Geralt that I think are explored very well between the two characters or between the two actors um, but I don't think she has the right look for Yennefer the same for Triss um, and I super hate Ciri's stupid contacts her contact lenses Ugh. I'll, I'll say it again and again and again they're just the worst well I mean casting red hair video games took peter griffin oh my god who the hell cares i don't <laughs> i don't understand what the big deal is i know why this is a, a debate online i thought the show was brilliantly casted there's a lot about the show that i could critique and there are some things that i did not like and i would love to pick apart the things that you know that show almost lost me it almost lost me from the beginning because i don't think it was well hit off it turned out great but the casting, I thought, was so dead on. That comes from a human being who never played, well, not never played the video game, is not very far into The Witcher 3. I didn't read the, the books, so I didn't have any preconceived notions about who ought to play these roles. But uh, just from coming into a series and enjoying it for what it is, a television series, I thought the casting was great. In fact, Yennefer... And, and this, by the, by the way, this is coming from somebody who has a huge, massive crush on Henry Cavill. Yennefer was my favorite thing about the program. I get thought out, she get was out. stunning. I thought her acting was amazing. She That transformation from when she had the disability to when she became beautiful, the torment that she had you know, about not being able to have a kid, the every piece of her was so brilliantly portrayed that I don't know 
I honestly don't know how they found the woman because I, I, I really can't imagine anyone else in the role. It never even occurred to me that Triss was anything but Triss. Part of that's because I didn't play the video game up to Triss, but I, it, it never even occurred to me that this was not perfect casting for this person. In fact, the episode where they first introduced her was probably the first episode where I thought, hmm, this is a pretty good show. So I, I think that when you're casting a, a show, you really should leave several of those especially pixelated versions. Now, I do think that going to the source material, going to the book, and picking some things out about the character and putting those, and, and trying to find those qualities in a human being, even if they're not they're more visceral, they're not quite as just spot on, is really what a casting director should do. And I think they did that here. But honestly, I don't care what color someone's hair is, unless it's pivotal, unless it's something that really, really matters to the story. And I don't know, I really don't know how red hair would have mattered to the story anymore with that particular character. And, and, and Yennefer, come on. Let's, she's, she's probably right up there with Wonder Woman. I don't, I don't know if the differences with Triss would have mattered too, too much. I, as a person who played the games more than read the source material, yeah, it, it did it did matter for my perception however i get i'm i'm not a person who's based my preconceptions on what was written before yennefer however was a character who was conceived um and uh, generated for the games based on the source material in what i thought was a rather beat for beat perfect mirror and um she was conceived in the games in a way that was flawless um she was everything that was supposed to be the thing that the witcher was um i don't know attracted to in a, in, in a number of ways now the the games for the witcher allowed for the the player to make various choices and one didn't have to end up with yennefer or um if if one didn't want to but there was certainly a clear history between those characters and the the the, the there was no denying the physical attraction i mean i think just like how does henry cavill um, represent Geralt is the same way that whoever the actress of Yennefer ought to be just, should represent think, the character of Yennefer. I don't think it matters. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I, the only time I encountered Yennefer in the game is the prologue, the kind of little tutorial section there. And the first thing I thought when I saw the first reveal of Yennefer, the beautiful sorceress, not obviously in the initial scenes of the character, but the first reveal of the sorceress was, wow, that was really well cast. And it was based 100% on, on my memory of what that Yennefer character felt like in that opening, in those opening scenes, you know, where in the, he's right. taking the bath and she's wandering around all naked and blah, blah, bloody blah, blah. It kind of bored <laughs> me a little bit. But I, but what it did to me I was... I was really intrigued in that moment. <laughs> what it did to me was, hey, that was really well cast. And so it really resonated a memory of what that character was in those moments of the video game for me. Uh, mine was the opposite. Oh, she's the wrong person for this. 100%. Raven hair. Only wears black and white. But, but she like doesn't only wear black and white. Like, the only okay, thing well, is the raven that hair. That's not the actress's fault. <laughs> I know, I know. She's a great actress. I think she should have tons of work after this. because Her she name really is Anya Chalotra. She's remarkably talented, and she should Stunning. do movies. Yeah, she's remarkable, 100%. She just isn't Yennefer. That's my only criticism. 
regardless of our criticisms or any any that you might have as a viewer, The Witcher does have a staggering 93% approval rating at the moment from fans. There's still a lot of negative debate online, of course, but Variety.com has already stated that Season 2 of The Witcher is beginning early this year, so we'll likely see it reach Netflix in 2021. We'll probably be tossing a couple coins to Netflix to see how it turns out. Oh, Valley of Plenty! And bringing us back home to our native territory, we're going to talk about more Star Wars. This time we're going to talk about The Mandalorian again, second time, because the show has ended and some time has passed. As we warned you at the beginning, we are deep in spoiler territory, so again, if you have not finished The Mandalorian and do not wish to be spoiled, turn back! Last we saw our Space Daddy Daycare and the troublemaking Disney icon of the decade. They were leaving behind their friends and a presumed dead Moff Gideon on Navarro to search for the child species. Do you think that this means the story is going to take a turn towards covering more Force users or Force-related plots? And would that be a good thing or a bad thing? I think The Mandalorian is a story that has thus far avoided Force-related characters. I don't know if that's a bad thing, but I do think that that's a strength of the series. I think it has told stories from the perspective of people who were not force uh, focused, from the stories of people who are not either Jedi Masters or Sith um, Masters, whatever the term is. <laughs> what is Sith? Um, Sith Masters? That can't be the term. Sith Jedi Wars. Masters. Seth Lords, that's the term I was looking for. Sith Lords? To all sorry. the Lords of Soken oh out there, God. we apologize. Lords of Soken, we're sorry. <laughs> so, Sith Lords. Um, it isn't a show that has been about that. It's been about the non-Force-sensitive folks l trying to survive in this, in this crazy universe uh, that is full of these space wizards and i think that's the charm of this show now to have the mandalorian who is obviously a little bit of an extra special character he's been trained in certain things and he has certain crazy armor and you know he obviously has a pretty cool ship um but he makes the story interesting for the every person he makes the story interesting for someone who wants to see themselves in the hero. And I think that's an element that makes it charming. Um, is that something that should be abandoned? I, I honestly don't think so, because I think the story needs to elevate itself. I do think it needs to get to the next, you know, to step two in the second season. So potentially introducing some kind of Force-sensitive villain or foil is... Um, called for, but I don't think that they necessarily need to make them um, something that happens immediately. I'd, I'd like to see that something, but not necessarily right off the bat. I'm, I'm agog at your assertion that there hasn't really been force-related 
characters. The absolute meme character of the program is Baby Yoda. Yoda, the one of the most powerful Force users ever. It's a baby of his species who we have seen magnificently wield the Force and, in some ways, confirm canon usage of abilities that we only guessed about prior to the series. We saw our first ever use of Force healing on this program. Now, at the same time Rise of Skywalker came out and we got to see it in the film as well. But Mandalorian did it first. So it really is, it, to me, yes, it's not focused necessarily on the light side versus the dark side. It, it's coming at it at a, at a skew and a tangent. But the, one of the main characters, if not the most popular character, is absolutely a Force user. So I don't know that we have any choice but to turn to more Force users, more Force-related plots, more like you said dark-sided aspects of of and and frankly we kind of saw baby yoda use the force in a dark-sided way um and i guess kind of is understating it because i don't want to think of him in that way but he vader choked <laughs> what's her name when they were ar arm wrestling so you know, <laughs> he did yeah he, he you know that's he's used the dark side and it looked it was clearly out of anger his expression while adorable was very heinous he was mad about it um, I think it's only a good thing to give us more Force stuff. People love the Force. Bring it on. Let's take this little buckaroo to back to Yoda world and put him in a Jedi Academy. And I would love it if they did that. And and of course, kept on with the imagery. I do agree with you. There is something about the, the non-Force used characters that make the Star Wars universe grounded and give it a little more weight than just bouncy laser sword wielders. But I, I love the Force, and I think most of the people that, that follow Star Wars love the Force, and that's one of the things we really want to dig into, especially with Baby Yoda. I totally agree. The, the, the aspect of the Force is the thing that makes Star Wars what it is. Totally agreed. The Force is what separates Star Wars from any other kind of sci-fi adventure. And I do agree, yes, we've seen Baby Yoda do things that are... Um, are they light side or are they dark side? No, I, I think they are what is the undisciplined use of the quote force. Um, from oh, girl, you would never make it in Knights of Sogan. <laughs> from Holy an hell. undisciplined user. Um, but that's that is um, the raw force, and, and 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 I totally agree. That's certainly a fascinating element of. Uh, of the storyline or of the genre that makes these stories interesting but it is in my opinion what makes the mandalorian interesting is is a normal person who is the mandalorian witnessing a character who is uh, baby yoda for lack of a better term utilize something that is in his in his words uh this creature can move things with its mind and that's his perspective of what this thing can do and it took his i don't know what the mandalorian equivalent was like forge master is whatever whatever her title is the the person he goes to for wisdom and advice and she's like no i've seen these people before and he's like what you're crazy and she's like no 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 for real <laughs> like i've seen them before and she has to tell him a little bit about them and the fact that they fought a war against this group of wizards who call themselves jedi and he's like this is crazy talk and for them normal people in this universe that's the interesting thing we know at this point in the 21st century we know who jedi are 
We know who the Sith are. We know what the Force is. We know even whether for good or ill. We know what midichlorians are. Regardless of your opinions of them, we, the audience, know them. To me, it's an interesting story to follow somebody who doesn't. To follow somebody who's learning about it. To follow somebody who's like, what is this crazy stuff where this person can shoot lightning out of their hands? That's redonkulous. Like, that to me is a cool story to follow. And the Mandalorian is that. And I think that's the draw for this character because he is that guy that's like, whoa, this is nuts, while watching these crazy space sorcerers. Leo, you may know many things, and we may know many things in this 21st century. Do you know the tragedy of Darth Plagueis? Darth Plagueis <laughs> wise. Oh no. Alright, well we can't talk about the finale of Season 1 without talking about the Darksaber. Last seen in canon in Rebels, the Darksaber was on Mandalore in the hands of Bo-Katan, but in the final moments of the episode we saw Moff Gideon, not only alive and well, but wielding the Darksaber. How the heck did he get it? And do you think we'll ever see Din Djarin get a hold of it? Oh, I, I hope we do. I would love to see the Mandalorian. And it kind of only makes sense. Uh, uh, you know, the Darksaber is part of Mandalorian lore. That is, it, it belongs to the Mandalorians. Um, and, and that's where I think that ultimately it should rest. So I hope that, that part of the story is him getting it. But where it's been, I mean, really, I guess in, in universe, we haven't seen it for about 10 years-ish. And that saber gets around. <laughs> you know, Tarvisla had it. Darth Maul had it for a while. Uh, Sabine Wren from Rebels had it for a while, so it's 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 been through a lot of hands in in its own history. But the the, the intervening period between um, Bo-Katan and and Moff Gideon, I mean, who knows? It was there a, a, a big fight it out between Moff Gideon and Bo-Katan? Not sure. Uh, the the Mandalorian does make reference to knowing who Gideon is, so he there is some type of history between him and the Mandalorian. So it could be that. Um, there, there was already some struggle there that we'll get more, more history on and find out how he came in into the possession of the, the saber. But I mean, it's it's a it's a rich mine for perhaps a comic book series. I will forever bow to Jace's Star Wars lore. Um, one of the one of the more interesting aspects of of our relationship in the Elder Scrolls Online is that. Um, he tends to defer to me with some of the Elder Scrolls lore. Um, and so I was like, oh, he's not a lore guy. And then I heard him talk about Star Wars. And I was very quickly um, humbled with uh, the fact that this dude knows more about Star Wars than uh, most humans on the planet Earth. I love Star Wars. Don't um, be me, Chase. <laughs> <laughs> dude. I wouldn't. Um, so that's only to say, I I will defer to Jace's um, perspective in what could have potentially happened with the Dark Saber over the course of um, time. I I have seen it used in a couple of episodes of some things that I've watched, um, and it has been clearly an element of what is supposed to be important Star Wars lore that I took as necessary for me to recognize. And as such, I took it to heart. 
that this dark saber is something that's a big deal. Um, having seen Moff Gideon wield it, it's something that I know should be something that is important to the Mandalorian, and it's something that, as a result of having seen it in the Mandalorian show, I'm now eager to learn about it in previous um, tellings. It really was one of those moments, like, the, the Mandalorian had a couple of those moments. The first was at the end of the, the, the pilot, when you saw the little Yoda hand and it, it dawned on you, holy mother, they're about to show us a Yoda, a little Yoda. Another one was whenever the little baby Yoda used the force and floated that furry rhino. Holy mother. It's also force sensitive and can do stuff. And then, rounding out the whole series, the that saber cuts through the TIE fighter. He cuts it open and pops out. And I literally had goosebumps and I was like, the dark saber? And my husband was like, should I know about that? And, and I was like, goosebumpy over it it's it really was this series had several of those moments that you're just like as a star wars lore nerd you're just like oh yes give me more of it right totally and that's that is what i think makes this show as good as it can be not only is it a decent show it really is just a good kind of spaghetti western set in the star wars universe that gets people who are interested in an episodic adventure to watch an episodic adventure but it is also that really cool element of thing that gets folks who don't know the things like i actually had to google darksaber after i watched it because i was like what in the world is this and so I started Googling Darksaber and I started reading about all this history and I was like, ooh, do I do I want to learn about all this on Wikipedia or Wookiepedia for those of you who really know, am I right? Um, or do I want to wait until the next episode of The Mandalorian to really learn about what the thing is that they wanted to, to tell us about this thing? And I'll be honest, I did I did Google it and Wikipedia it up because I just can't help myself. Okay, so then what do you guys think that we're going to see in season two? We could go back to any of the planets we've seen before, we could check out new planets, different races, Twilik, Zabrak, more that I can't pronounce. What do you think that we are going to see and what do you want to see? I want more Force stuff. I know Leo was kind of begrudging like that we can go there, but I want more. I want to explore the Yoda species, and I want to know their relationship to the Force. Are all the Yodas able to use the Force? Is it something that's like in all of their DNA that they can do? Because that's highly unusual. Are they extremely rare um, as a species? Is there just a few of them around at any given time? I don't know. Like, I want to know questions, uh, answers to those questions. Another thing that I would love to see, though, is... Um, you know that passing line in episode one about um, Padme being an angel uh, around the moons of Iago, and then they did have a Clone Wars episode where they kind of expounded a little bit on that race, the angels of Iago. I would really like to see a live-action version of one of the the angels of Iago. I, I think that they're they're a cool species just in general, like they're energy-based and they're kind of beautiful and lovely, and it would be really neat to see that in live-action rather than just animation. Um, so that'd be fun to see. Um, I'm a little bit torn about about the next thing. I, I kind of want to see. I, I I hate to even say this. Uh, Kadis will probably like it. I, I kind of want to see a little bit more of Dark Side Baby Yoda. 
his little angry face was so cute and even though it was super evil i want i kind of want to see that exploration of his use of dark side force abilities and and maybe there's a, an internal struggle there between light and dark with him i'm not sure but i i do want to see that i think that's that's a pivotal pivotal part of star wars is the struggle between light and dark and a, there's a lot of gray in mandalorian um ultimately star wars is light light versus dark i would like to see that play out in some way and i think having it play out in baby yoda and then daddy daycares trying to avoid force lightning would be really fun i'm gonna make a request and i'm gonna say when a singular question is asked of us in what one thing do you think we're going to see in season two that when you get to answer that question first jace that you stick to a singular freaking topic i can't i have before... to i have to mouth vomit <sighs> because it leaves me with very few things that i get to talk about that did you i steal haven't... all your things you did stole steal all my things I think I would really like to see, and I think it makes a lot of sense for the folks who are making The Mandalorian to explore the Baby Yoda species. I think it is not only a fascinating element of Star Wars lore that has remained intentionally obscure uh, by... Um, George Lucas but it is an element of Star Wars lore that has some really fascinating elements to share with an audience The Mandalorian has restored a lot of faith for fans of the Star Wars franchise and inspired a ton of love for Jon Favreau and so can we can't wait for more of this series but if you need a Mandalorian fix while we're waiting for season 2 check out our guild The Eternal Crusade Boy, Amanda. Okay, this week for tea time, uh, I'm going to hijack my own segment, and I have a question for you guys. What is the most underrated TV show or streaming series that you've seen? Leo, answer first. <laughs> <laughs> Um, The Tick. It was uh, what I thought a remarkably refreshing comedy, as well as a remarkably inspirational superhero show. It showed elements of what it was to be kind of the no man what it was to be everybody um oh i can't remember his name um patrick warbert the 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 normal guy who oh no his buddy yeah the the well whatever his name was and forgive me tick fans for forgetting it but his journey through wanting to be a hero and then finding a hero in the tick and then his even um i don't know his his um 
comedic interpretation of some of the superhero antics of the tick because he's kind of a cynic the main character and he's he's i saw a lot of me in him where he was like are you for real when the tick you know said things like a hero puts himself in danger to you know secure the safety of everyone he was like for real dude there was a whole lot of every man in the main character of the tick and i i really liked it there was a superhero um assembly that he had to contend with there was uh the the politics of that in addition to the politics of just trying to save people from the villain that were refreshing i think in a lot of ways i enjoyed it i'm sad that it hasn't continued i really enjoyed the first two seasons of it and i would like to see it continue i am gonna stick with my rule of threes and quickly go through um i i just have to give a call back to sense eight i thought that um i i think that the show is undervalued for what it does and what it's trying to say it's so beautifully directed the story is just full of diversity appreciation for many cultures um the the layers of the plot and all the characters are so deep and rich and it really deserved better than cancellation um i, I think that it really brought people together around the world in some ways just like it did in the show so i'm i was really sad to see that go and i think that it is very undervalued as a streaming series and i would love to see perhaps another campaign give it a little more life though i don't hold out hope another series that isn't canceled that's still ongoing that i think is re relatively underappreciated and just because what it, what it is is grace and frankie on netflix um it's about older women and deals with older women problems but it's really funny and i really like um uh, i like lily tomlin and jane fonda they're hilarious in the show I don't know that it has a huge audience. I think that it's probably pretty niche as, as far as who's watching it. But I've watched it, and I think that it's fun, and it deserves more viewership. And then the big one, what if, if I could really only have one answer, the answer would be um, The OA, which I think is bizarre as a show, really original, incredibly thought-provoking, um, and it, it has been canceled after two seasons, which is just terribly depressing, especially how they ended the second season i won't ruin it for anyone but it really is strange to to end when there's there seems like there's just so much more to tell about this particular universe or multiple universes if you're a fan of the show but i, I love the oa uh, i'm i'm not there is a fan theory that perhaps it really isn't canceled and that because of the way the series ended this is just a, kind of a a meta in joke that they've announced the cancellation and but but I don't think so. I think that it probably really is gone. But I, I think that it's highly undervalued, um, highly underrated. It was really, really good. And I, I have to say, the first time I watched Series 1 and got to the end of it, I kind of just sat in silence for a while because I thought, I don't know how. I don't know what I just watched, but I feel like it's really important. And I need to figure out what this was about. And it was, it was a really, really cool show with a lot of deep little subtle hints of what was going on the whole time and and i miss it the oa seems to be almost like a, a 
J.J. Abrams film in that there were a lot of mystery boxes set up um, and whether or not they're going to be opened and what's in them are going to be satisfying is yet to be determined and I got I got the sense throughout that um, whoever it was that was originally responsible for it was was kind of the same sentiment of lost and was the same sentiment of um, some <clears throat> Star Wars movies <clears throat> that will remain um, unnamed but um, that there were ideas that could have been capitalized on there were ideas that should have been answered and that there there were some really cool ideas that could have could have come to something but there just wasn't the either the funding or the I don't know the right state of mind behind it the right um, confidence behind it to really see those answers come to fruition well, Britt Marling is one of the writers. She also stars in the show, and, and she said from the beginning, this is a story that needs to be told in five seasons, and it, it had a beginning, middle, and end. She knew it needed five seasons to be told. Um, season one was just kind of a crack into the way that the seri that the stories were going to be told. Season two changed everything and kind of put it on its head, and then the way it was leading into season three was pretty mind-boggling uh, and meta, but I guess we'll never know being that it's canceled assuming that the cancellation's real and it's not just a a kind of meta in universe hoax to suck us all in which i would love to believe that because it would fit so well with the end of this uh, end of season two but i i kind of think that it's just over it honestly kind of reminds of arrival a little bit the movie yeah i love that movie too it was so good all right if you'd like to submit a tea time question for the podcast, which do it, I dare ya, head over to SoakinGaming.com slash SoakinMedia and find the submission bar on the right-hand side of the page. Can you beat a question that's the Hulk versus an equal mass of bees? I dare you. I want to see it. Show me. Thank you everyone for joining us for this television-riddled episode of the Soakin Podcast. For more Soakin Media, visit us at SoakinGaming.com slash SoakinMedia, follow our Twitter at SoakinGaming, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Soaking Gaming Community, and you can look for future episodes of the podcast on Google Podcasts and iTunes. Until next time, I've been T. I'm Jay Strayson! I have, and am, and will continue to be Leo. And we'll see you next week. Stay shiny, Soaking. Thank you for listening to the Soaking Community Podcast. Craving more? Visit us on Twitter and YouTube at Sokin Gaming, as well as our website, www.sokingaming.com. Until next time, stay classy. Right, Jace?